G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Hi, my name is Joan, and I'm listening to Pastor Youssef on a podcast. I'm just so thankful for for the radio uh, program and for all that he is doing and you all are doing to uh, spread the gospel across the street and around the world. And thank you so much. It's been such a gift for me to be able to hear this in this time of my life and just everything that's... Uh, that's going on, and I just appreciate you all so much. So keep standing firm on the front lines, and we pray for you as you do that. God bless. Step into your neighborhood, workplace, or local coffee shop, and you'll quickly be reminded of the incredible needs of our world. Bubbling to the top in recent years has been race relations and compassion for fellow man. For example, tolerance for opposing political or social opinions. Today on Leading the Way, an in-depth look at a familiar teaching, the Good Samaritan. In it, Jesus touches at the heart of many current issues. Listen along with me as he begins a message appropriately called Living for Jesus. How many of you spin the top when you were little? That was my favorite game. We had a, a little thread around it and kind of we throw it on the floor and watch it spin. In fact, as kids, we used to compete and see who's going to make the top, his or her top spin faster and spin longer. That was the big thing. We compared the, the sizes of the tops, so we compared the shapes and we talked about this. And then, of course, I got older and ceased to spin tops But I see lives spinning like a top. And I have experienced, watched, seen lives that spins like tops. Now we compete to see whose life is going to spin faster. Whose life is going to spin longer. And we think about ways that we can make our spinning tops larger. That we make them better. There are three facts I want to tell you about spinning tops that actually also apply to spinning lives. Three things. Don't forget those. For a top to spin, it has to have a big head and a thin base. That's a scientific fact. It can't stand up unless it's spinning. And the third thing is... It always spins around itself. Always spins around itself. But you know what? As I thought about this, I thought how much of a far cry the lives we are living today, they're spinning around from the life that Jesus lived. What a far cry the lives we're spinning right now from the life that Jesus wants his disciples to live. 
You say, well, how can I live like Jesus? It's an impossibility. And I know some of you already probably switched off and said, I can't live like Jesus. Well, be patient. Jesus tells a story, a true story, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. And this true story is a story of a model life. But it's also the story of Jesus' life. It's Jesus' life story. In Luke chapter 10, let me set up the stage here. A clever lawyer came to quiz Jesus by saying, What kind of a life am I supposed to live that earns me eternal life? Jesus, of course, was not going to fall in that trap, so he waited until the lawyer answered his own question. And he quoted from the scripture, from the Old Testament, and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, Good. (laughs) Go practice that. Then the lawyer realizes, of course, it is much easier said than done. So he comes to Jesus, coming up with some excuse saying, But who is my neighbor? Which prompted the Lord Jesus to tell him a story, which we call the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now here's a picture of a desperate person. A person who's in desperation, which is a picture of the condition of humanity. That humanity is in desperation, is in desperate need, is in desperate need of healing, in desperate need of forgiveness, in desperate need of restoration with the relationship with God. And yet they get bypassed by the very people who were supposed to help him. The priest who was commissioned by God to minister to the hurting world walks on the other side and pretends he hasn't seen anything. A Levite was so consumed with his religious activities, he pretended that he didn't see what he saw and he moved on. Now I want to tell you something. This is a picture of the ineffectiveness of religious rituals and ceremonial law. Dead rituals freezes the heart. Dead rituals cannot save souls. Dead rituals cannot meet needs. And here's a picture of it here. The Samaritan appears. Now remember, the Samaritans and the Jews were enemies. 
The Samaritans and the Jews do not have dealings with each other. Jews and Samaritans were alienated from each other. Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles, and therefore they did not fit in either world. No wonder the Bible tells us that Jesus the Christ was fully God and fully man. But this Samaritan bridges the gap, and he reached down in selflessness. This Samaritan was unique. He was not like any of those self-proclaimed messiahs. Not like any of those self-proclaimed saviors. Not like the other past self-proclaimed messiahs. He was a picture of Jesus. Like Jesus, this Samaritan did four things. First of all, he stopped. Then he stooped. Then he saved. And then he served. He did four things. That Jesus did. I want you to look first. He first stopped. We know virtually nothing about this man. We don't even know his name. And yet think of the countless people. That he had inspired. Through the years. This Samaritan was not going on holiday. This Samaritan was not sitting idly by. And want to use his time. This Samaritan was not. He did not have few hours to kill. No, 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 no. This Samaritan was a busy man. He was on business. You do not go that road. Unless you have business to attend to. That was a dangerous road. This man had a schedule to keep. This man had a choice to make. Should I get involved? Or should I keep on going? The others have chosen to keep on going. This Samaritan chose not to stick to his plan, not to stick to his schedule. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself tells us that he had a choice. To come from heaven and die on a cross or stay and rule and reign in heaven. Jesus had a choice. He said, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up. But I choose to lay it down for you and me. I am so glad Jesus did not say, I've got a universe to run. I've got a world to rule. I'm so glad Jesus did not say, I can't go down and get involved with humanity. I am so glad that Jesus stopped. Had he not stopped and looked at my desperate conditions, had he not stopped and looked with pity upon my condition of sin and guilt and desperation and straight heading for hell, I would not be here today. Had he not stopped and cared for the agony of my guilt and grief, I would not be here today. Neither would most of you. Thousands of you would testify the same way. Let me ask you this. How many people all around you who are desperate for the message of healing and forgiveness? You don't have to go across the world. You're across the street. And to live like Jesus include stopping from our busyness, stopping from our fear and apprehension, stopping from our unwillingness to get involved in other people's lives. This man not only stopped, but he stooped. He hazarded his life. You know why? One of the most dangerous roads of ancient time, most dangerous road was the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was full of robbers. And yet he risked his reputation. Not only he risked his life, he risked his reputation. To actually stoop down and pick up a Samaritan is one thing. But to stoop down and pick up a Jew, that is unheard of. Unheard of. He would have been scorned and mocked by his fellow Samaritans. I want you to hear me right, please. Because anyone can pass on the other side. Anyone 
can pretend that everything is okay. Anyone can block their ears to the cries of the lost people. Anyone could say, why should I get involved? Anyone can pray like the Pharisees. I thank thee, Lord, for I am better than these people. And then go on with life. But the disciple of Jesus Christ is not only supposed to stop, but also to stoop. I need to explain something important to you here. God in his sovereign will, and this is something that baffles me. It really does. God in his sovereign will, he chose to use his disciples to stop and stoop, to save and to serve. God in his divine wisdom chose to use the disciples of Jesus as an instrument of caring for the lost. God in his sovereign will chose to use his disciples to be witnesses. Now let me explain something to you. If I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. If I were God, I wouldn't trust people. I wouldn't trust me. If I were God, I would have thought some other way of doing it other than use people. Because people let you down. They are self-focused. They can get busy with their lives and they neglect the very thing that Jesus came to do. And often when his disciples refuse to stop and stoop, Jesus moves on and he uses others who are willing to do that. But the sad part is that that disciple misses out on the blessing. Jesus did not only stop, he also stooped. He laid aside the royal diadem of glory. He laid aside the garb of splendor of heaven. He laid aside the praises of the angels that are rising from trillions of angels. He laid aside the majesty of his office. He laid aside his limitless sovereign power and stooped into our world. Why? Because he wants to feel what we feel in order to meet us where we are so that he may become one of us. And if that was all, that would have been enough. But it's more than this. He stooped so he can pay for the penalty of your sin and my sin. He stooped so he may pay the judgment that is rightly yours and rightly mine. He stooped that he may make it possible for all who come to him find eternal life. He stooped so that he may open the door of heaven. He stooped so that he may become the bridge between us and God the Father. He stooped so that he may become the walkway to heaven. Many of you know this fact. Uh, Growing up as a persecuted Christian, at an early age when I made it out of my country of birth, I said to myself, I'll never have anything to do with this part of the world ever again. And then I matured in Christ. (laughs) And as I matured in Christ, I began to realize that if my Savior stooped, so should I. And today I spend every waking moment trying to listen to the voice of God of how to make him known to a lost world. I'm not bragging, I'm only expressing gratitude to God publicly for the privilege of allowing me to serve him and make him known. God wants every one of his disciples Not just select few, not those who are in full-time ministry. God wants every one of Jesus' disciples to be able to stop and to stoop. But thirdly, to save. When the Samaritan looked at this dying man, he saw the need and he responded to it immediately. 
This man's need was healing. This man's need was mercy. This man's need was grace. This man's need was life. Because the Bible said, Jesus said that he was almost dying. And so he did what he could to save this man's life. He poured the wine and he poured the oil to bring cleansing and healing upon his wounds. He knew what needs to be done and did it. He got involved and made a difference. If the world is desperate for something today, it is not more courses on communication. It is not more pop psychology. It is not more techniques and principles and seven steps to happiness. It is not more courses on how to get along with each other. God's people are desperate for one thing and one thing only. And that is to know the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. If the world is desperate for one thing, it's the healing and the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, all the legislation in the world cannot accomplish this. All of the politics in the world cannot do this. All of the peace talks in the world cannot do this. All of the military power in the world cannot achieve that. All of the motivational speakers in the world can never accomplish that. All of the technology in the world cannot accomplish that. Only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses the heart from hatred. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can put an end to bloodshed. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can change the heart and the minds of people. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can transform lives. And that's the most desperate need in our world today. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will not only stop like Jesus, you will not only stoop like Jesus, but you will save through the power of Jesus. But fourthly, you'll serve like Jesus. You know, the president of my seminary that I went to back in the early 70s in Australia, we had a wonderful, godly president. In fact, academically, they said his records at Oxford University has never been matched since or before. And yet that brilliant man had one thing that he drummed in our ears as seminarians. And it's so simple. All of his intellect, he kept saying to us, remember this, remember this, remember this. That the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. And the greatest service, he would say to us, that you can perform to be a faithful proclaimer of the whole counsel of God. Not your pet peeves. Every time I open the scripture and I began to expound the word of God, I hear Dr. Knox's voice. The greatest service you can perform is to be a faithful proclaimer of the whole counsel of God. This Samaritan man did not only refuse to abandon the man after he helped him, no. He did all within his power to make sure that this man who is being saved now is served. He placed the man on his donkey while he walked. He cared and he carried this man's burden. He ministered to this man. He equipped this man to full health. He ensured the bringing up of this man into full strength. You know, there are so many ministries all around us. They only do half a task. They bring people to Jesus and then they ignore them. And then they forget them. They're churches that all the preachers bring them to Jesus and then leave them alone. They never to equip them into maturity in Christ. 
In many a church, biblical instruction have been replaced by courses on communication skills. Biblical teaching has been replaced by pop psychology. Biblical knowledge has been exchanged for human knowledge. I want you to hear me right, please. This will never, never feed the soul. Only the Word of God does. The Samaritan did not cut him loose as soon as he got him into the hospital, but now he made sure to take him to others who are capable of bringing him into full health. He made sure that even in his absence, this wounded man is cared for. He paid up front all of this man's needs. And I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you. I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to say. (laughs) When Jesus died on the cross, he did not die just to save us eternally, but his death was a whole payment for our salvation and for our sanctification. His death on the cross was paid so that we can be saved, continue to be saved, and then finally saved when we get to heaven. His death on the cross was a payment, not only for sin, but for all the ravages of sin. The physical damages, the emotional damages, the spiritual damages. The payment of the cross was a total payment. Do you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? And therefore, receive the blessing of a disciple, then live like Jesus. Let the things that burdens Jesus' heart burden your heart. It's that simple. Let the fact that he repeatedly before he went to heaven, at the end of every one of the Gospels, in the beginning of the book of Acts, he said, be my witnesses, be my witnesses, be my witnesses, be my witnesses, proclaim the message, save the lost. Let this occupy your daily life. Listen, I know how easy it is to get so preoccupied with your problems. Listen, we all have them. And if you look around and say, somebody doesn't have the problems you have, let me tell you something. They have different problems than what you have. But they have problems. We got plenty of problems. But if you make your problems be your focus, rather than living like Jesus, you will live in a dark hole. And Jesus stopped stooped, saved and served. I want to make you a challenge for everyone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to make you a challenge. I pray that the Holy Spirit will never let you forget this challenge. That between now and the end of the year, get involved in one person's life. One individual. That's okay. You don't have to be ambitious. One person. Just one. Invite them to church. Invite her to church. Take them to lunch. Show them that you care enough to stop, to stoop, to save, and to serve. Not only that, the person can be saved, but you get the blessing. You get the joy. You're listening to Dr. Michael Youssef and the program known throughout the world as Leading the Way. Would you like to know more about what it means to live for Jesus? Begin a conversation with a Leading the Way team member when you visit ltw.org slash Jesus, ltw.org slash Jesus. As you know, Leading the Way is more than just this radio program. It encompasses the many ways the teaching of Dr. Yusuf reaches across six continents through multimedia technologies and local staff. 
Over the last 30 years, God has used Dr. Yusuf's faithful preaching of the gospel to transform countless lives. Your faithfulness helped take God's word into some of the darkest places on the globe, yet billions of people are yet to hear the good news of Jesus. Now is the time to act. Join Dr. Yusuf on the most important spiritual endeavor you will ever be a part of. Vision 2025. Be a part of the next great awakening and see one million souls won for Christ. Vision 2025. Seven strategic initiatives, seven purposeful years as we work and pray to see one million souls come to Christ. Call a ministry representative at 1-300-133-589 to learn ways you can be a part of the worldwide impact of leading the way. 1-300-133-589 or the website is ltw.org, ltw.org. Well, that's it for today, but do make plans to join us again next time for more Leading the Way. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 